Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Nir Hindi. Nir applies methods and practices from the art world and combines them with knowledge from the business and entrepreneurship worlds to help organizations become more creative, empathetic, and forward-looking. Welcome to the podcast, Nir. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you very much, Osana, for having me. So uh, in terms of uh, business, it's, it's, of course, obvious why you need to be innovative and creative, especially with the pandemic requiring businesses to make pivots right now. How does that perspective of, of art and the artist, how does that help you do that? It's a great question. And maybe also before I will answer this question, why I think artists can help us see innovation, it's important to discuss what art is, or at least how what I learned from art. Even though I, I study economics and web technologies and started my, a few companies, always been entrepreneur in the business world, I got to know a lot of artists. And at the beginning, I thought, what artists have in common with business? Basically, we think nothing. But then from conversations that I had with them, I saw a lot of similarities between the way they think as an artist to the way entrepreneurs think. And I was interested to understand why they are not connected. And I think that a, a fast forward to, uh, to today, one of the big realizations that I had is that art is not an object. It's not a painting or, or mm -hmm. a sculpture or a song or a book. Uh, art is a mindset. What we see on the wall or what we hear uh, in the radio, what we read in a book, this is just the end result of a thinking process. Hmm. So um, one, one of the things that I learned is that artists, they don't have any other way than just to be original. Because if you just copy some other artist, then you're not considered original artist. Right. So artists are by definition are pushed to think in an original way and they need to reinvent themselves because even if as an artist, you just keep repeating yourself, most likely you won't be considered as someone that is innovative or just maybe someone that was innovative and then just declined. Mm. So I think that the moment we understand that art is a mentality and why artists need to actually all the time push for originality, um, we actually understand that there is a lot what to learn from them. Now, if you think about the way artists work, and this is, I think, maybe the, the, the glimpse or the ability for us to understand better how they work, is that if you imagine now a circle and in the circle is the mainstream, now, what is the power of the mainstream? The power of the mainstream is the routine, is the way we do things, the way the things are. Mm -hmm. Artists don't operate in the mainstream. They operate in the borders and they challenge the mainstream. Why we do what we do? Mm -hmm. Why things are the way they are? And they pose questions that kind of uh, uh, ask us or force us to ask ourselves why actually we are doing it. Mm 
And while mainstream or the society works uh, uh, top bottom, uh, managers to the employees, society to the individuals, artists doesn't work, don't work that way. They work bottom up. And the moment they succeed with their ability to challenge the society, most likely what they, what they achieved will become the mainstream. So what But do you mean artists, by, by bottom up? Basically, they are trying to uh, pose those questions. If you pay attention, and I think there is a great example to look at what happened today with the gender perception, especially among youngs. Mm -hmm. uh, artists already experimented with, uh, with androgenity and, and then being sure. kind of playing between uh, genders. You see through David Bowie, yeah. through the work of Cindy Sherman in the 60s, in the 70s. And suddenly today you see the young generation basically doesn't, don't accept this definition of zero one male female. Mm -hmm. So what started as niche artists that are doing something to experiment or to challenge what male is, what female is actually became now the way many gener young generation actually perceive themselves. Mm. So this is like what I called bottom up. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned reinventing yourself. I mean, that's a huge advantage for businesses to be able to adjust to changing conditions. I mean, even outside of the, you know, the, the issue of the pandemic of, you know, shifting customer profiles and, Uh, the changing market, all of those things, you know, the ability to reinvent and see things from a different perspective. That's really, that's part of what I see as, as an artist's role is to help us see things that aren't necessarily obvious. Totally, totally. And I think that uh, uh, one of the things you mentioned, the pandemic, I think before the pandemic, you pay if you pay attention, most of the companies glorify their algorithms and how excellent is the technology and how superior is the software that they have. And then came the pandemic and just left all the technology aside and said, okay, now we need to focus on the humans. And you see that the, 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 the tools that flourish are the tools that allow easier communication with people. And then suddenly you see again, humans in the center when what we like to call the human-centered design, this is something that comes much natural for artists because art made by human, for human, about human. Mm -hmm. So in a way, what I learned from the pandemic is that how actually now the algorithm, yes, maybe it's superior, but if it doesn't deliver value for humans, most likely they won't use it. And pay yeah. attention how even the tools that we are using now, Zoom, just increase Yeah. Increasingly, crazy. Yeah, just amazing. it's such a, in a way, such a simple tools, but it allowed us to be among 20, 30, 40, 50 friends and record it and have fun and have emojis, et cetera, and make it much more engaging and human right. in many ways. Yeah. Well, and, and to allow families and, and people to connect on a personal level as well. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, Something that I saw that you had written about is um, of developing empathy is part of this approach of the artist. And that surprised me a little bit. I mean, we can see so many reasons for wanting to develop more empathy, the, the pandemic, society in general, and business, the way it's evolving toward a more uh, stakeholder-centric 
approach. How does creativity and, and that uh, focus on art and the artist's perspective, how does that increase empathy? First of all, you know, I don't know if, if our, your listeners know, but even the word empathy came from the uh, German, uh, the, from Germany. Um, and actually it entails, I think, the essence of an object or something like this. Mm. Uh, but even the, world, the word empathy started in the art world. And I want to give you an example how I think art can foster empathy. If you think about, if you and me or Sola will go to the museum and we look at a painting, what's beautiful about art is that it's an open-ended uh, platform. You might see a woman and I might see a man in, this, in the character that we look at the painting, mm -hmm. but because both of us don't know exactly what is the painting we are looking at, I cannot judge you. I cannot say, no, you are wrong. It's actually a man. I actually need to understand, wait, why is Sula saying that it is a woman? Why she actually think it's a woman? It's what I need actively put myself in your shoes to try to understand what is it that you see and why you see what you see. Mm. So it's immediately invite um, understanding and a different conversation. And this different conversation, because art is often open-ended, there is no right or wrong answers. So I need to be able to listen to you, first of all. I need to be able to not to be judgmental, to say, no, she's wrong, or wait, no, she's seeing something that it doesn't, it's not there. I need to be open-minded. And all those things are kind of entailed in, in empathy. And why do you think that's important for business? I mean, there's the obvious answer, but I, I could you expand on that a little bit of, of why you think that? Because that's, um, that's not often something that's discussed. It's like love and business. It, it feels, based on the old models, that feels like that they don't fit together and empathy as well. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, I'm laughing because I'm just preparing um, uh, uh, my keynote I have this week about artistic leaders. And one of the examples that I use is, is Steve Jobs, even though it might be cliche, but, you know, he stands on the stage and he said that we may, uh, liberal arts and technology makes our hearts sing. Mm -hmm. How often do you see a business leaders stand on a stage in front of thousands of people and say, we create product that makes our hearts sing? Yeah. Most of the time we see business leaders standing on the stage and say, our, so our technology is superior, it's better, it's efficient, it's faster, it's 10 times uh, cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. And we forget the human aspect. So I think empathy forces us to actually think about our clients. And most of the time, and, and you work in the startup world and I work in the startup world, one of the things that I do with the, with the people I work with is that often we rush to offer our solution. But there is a beautiful saying that said, your solution is not my problem. Yeah. And often you see companies that enter into the room and try immediately to sell yeah. their solution without actually taking the time to, as, as, as I often say, observe, listen to the client, understand what they are trying to achieve, which this is the empathy part, and then offer the right solution. Instead of selling yourself, try to understand what your customer needs and then match to their needs. Even though it sounds cliche, it's a process that I see companies that are kind of making a scene over here in a way that, you know, just rushing to sell what they have, the solution that they develop. Yeah. If it makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, it's certainly something I see in some startup companies where they are so excited about their product and or service and they go to great lengths to develop it without really having conversations with their customer base or their prospective customers. And exactly, exactly what you said, they find out in the end, this is not a problem they are looking for a solution for and the company fails and they've got to start again. So exactly. So, so I think that, you know, this, this ability to actually, because what's, what I think we need to remember, not to realize, because we realize as we just said, we forget is that in life, there is no zero one black or white. There is much more gray and we need to be able to deal with the gray. And, and in order to be able to deal with this gray, we need to be open-minded to, to understand that, yes, we have the two by two matrix and yes, we have the methods and yes, we have the uh, processes, but the world changes so fast. And, and at the end, every company is consists not from the processes, it consists from its people. Mm. And this pandemic, I think, was a great lesson in leadership, whether it is political leadership, whether it is business leadership or social leadership. I think the pandemic is overall a leadership lesson to, to, to kind of communicate or to demonstrate what we're actually looking from people that navigate, whether our uh, countries, whether our uh, businesses. Mm. I, I had not thought about it in exactly those terms uh, that you just said the pandemic is a leadership lesson. And I've certainly talked with a lot of people about how their leadership has shifted, how have they consciously made changes, but um, stating it that way is, it really creates opportunities for some growth in the leadership realm. Is that something that you're seeing with people who are embracing that right now? Yes, I want to say yes. Yeah, affirmative yes. Uh, I, I would say yes, <laughs> uh, because I still, you know, now there is a lot of noise. So it's very difficult to see who will stand out really mm -hmm. as a, a company or a leader that actually adopted and, and immersed herself or himself to these values. So currently we, we hear a lot of people saying, yes, we need to change. Yes, we need to be more human centric. Yes, we need to be more innovative. Yes, we need to reimagine. But you, you already know, you work many years in the business world. You already know there is speaking innovation and there is doing innovation. And <laughs> yeah, often they are not different. the same. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, but but I'm an optimistic person, so I will try to keep <laughs> a, I will try to keep the the uh, optimism over here. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, uh, since we're on the topic of leadership, I I was curious what um, how have how have you taken what you talk about in this realm of of art and business? How have you taken that and applied it? to your own business and, and really led that within your own company? Um, it's a great question. I think that one, one of the things that I learned is that, or maybe I learned and maybe this is my character, I'm always an active person. And when the pandemic hit uh, here in Madrid, Spain, you know, it was really, really, really extreme. Mm -hmm. And some people dealt with that going totally in a way that they just shut down and some people have just made it an opportunity. And I'm a person, maybe because I'm, I'm coming from entrepreneurial background, I never had the security of, of 
job environment, I always need to create things. Uh, I utilize it immediately to start and focus on things that I wanted to do for many, many uh, a month. One of them is a podcast, uh, how to actually expose this way of thinking of art applied to business. Mm -hmm. Another thing is developing new content that's relevant to the pandemic, like leadership lessons that I see artists can teach us, especially this uh, period. Um, creating new content, uh, doing courses that I was I waited for a long time to uh, to actually take the time and do. Uh, in rewriting the book I've been working on. So so you know for me it's I believe that you know things happen when you make them happen. However, something that I also realized is that everyone has their has their own way to deal with that. And even being even shut down, it's it's okay because it's such an extreme situation that yeah. there is no right or wrong how to deal with it. It's just that I felt that on a personal level, I have to move. I cannot stand still. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I did a lot of internal work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are taking the opportunity to do that and really examine what's important for them and, and how can they do things in a more conscious way an intentional way. And that's true for a lot of companies now too, where there's more of a focus on uh, doing good with their business. There's a focus on how can I make things better for all the stakeholders connected with the business? And how, how do you think that uh, your approach of, of looking at um, art as a way of moving in the business realm how can you put that to use for that purpose for the purpose of of having more impact um listen i think that you know as again uh when you think about art artists often were was and still are social leaders Okay, uh, art was always kind of taking the underdog position to demonstrate what are the gaps that we have in, in society. And I think that businesses that want to, business leaders or individuals, no, you don't have to be a leader, individuals that want to understand the changes in cultures that happening today need and should look to what artists are doing because it will be very, very interesting. And I think especially today, uh, all of us are suffering from the Zoom fatigue, okay? Not all of us, but it's be a lot of us, I would say, suffering from Zoom fatigue. Yes, now, certainly. you know how many artists are actually experimenting with new ways of experiencing, creating a, a different environments in virtual reality, a, trying to make a connection through gr groups of WhatsApp that only works with voice notes or trying to uh, kind of create a, a augmented reality ability to that you can communicate. So I think that's a great moment to actually um, look to what artists are doing in order to help even to build a better connection. Mm. Uh, so that's one, I would say, one direct um, change that I see, how we can actually learn from artists to create better con uh, connections, better experiences between ourselves, not only customers and uh, clients, but can be also with the, the family among. Sure. Yeah. Well, the other thing people are dealing with right now is really a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty. And I think of 
artists as kind of embracing uncertainty. It's not, you don't think of artists and security, not, not just from a financial standpoint, but just because they're rocking the, the norm, they're, they're looking at things in a different way. How do you think that, um, I mean, what would you recommend for people who are really struggling right now with all the change and uncertainty that's going on? I think it's such such a great uh, uh, comment and you know um, also that during the pandemic I ask I ask my artist friends how they what they think about the situation um, and one of my friends uh, Maya Gelfman she's an artist I want to read you her quote when I ask her about how she deal with this situation and mm. and what she said is the following I suppose we all, Artists and intellectuals are relatively experienced surfers on the unknown wave. A person who chooses to be an artist in her profession must learn how to surf, float, drone, and rise over and over in a stormy weather. water. And I'm not writing this just in a romantic manifesto, but in a practical everyday activity. The choice to be an artist is like a choice to live in the eye of the storm. And when I create out of this place, there is only here and now. And I think that what Maya actually uh, kind of uh, transmits in her message is this ability of the artist to say, yes, we have the future coming. But if you focus on the day today and you create for the day of to- today, slowly you will also be able to kind of um, go outside of the situation that you are in. Because as you just mentioned, artists are always living in the unknown and the ambiguity because you create a painting or a series of painting today, tomorrow, and you don't know if someone will buy it. And even if you are the number one artist, nobody guaranteed that you will succeed in your next exhibition. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a way of where, are you, where you put or channel your focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that the artists, they are great visionary but they also know how to live the day in order to get to the vision. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this before about talking about young people and the kind of porous boundaries between genders and in, in current perception among young people. Do you think that young people have a different relationship with creativity or is it really not age dependent at all? Um, I, will, I will answer Ursula with, with your permission with yeah. affirmative yes and affirmative no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, go for it. And I'll tell you why. I think um, the young generation, they definitely see themselves more cre- uh, creative and you have research studies that show it. They, I think one of the reasons they see themselves more creative is that uh, technology allow it, okay? Um, I consider myself a digital immigrant. I'm not a digital native. I didn't grow up with an iPhone connected to my hand, mm-hmm. but they did. And one of the way to actually uh, stand out in the noise of the internet is to do things different. Often is using these technologies to show your uh, creativity. And during the pandemic, we saw the the boom of a uh, TikTok. And TikTok is a social media that's based on creativity. If you just keep repeating what others are doing, most likely you won't get enough likes. But if you are original, so you might become a sensation, okay? So the generation 
of the young generation, yes, they see themselves more creative. They think about themselves more creative. And one of the things that surprised me is the Snapchat had a report, I think it was uh, two years ago, one year, uh, one year and a half ago. 80% of the people that were interviewed to this uh, research actually said that they have offline artistic hobby. That's something that surprised me. Now, <laughs> why, why I'm saying um, uh, about the older generation that they don't see themselves as creative. I think that the older generation in, in a way is the result of the education system. And the education system teach us one thing is that we need to always come with the right answer. And at right. the age of eight or nine, most of our parents tell us, now stop with all the creative things and focus on what's important. <laughs> and what is the message? What's important is mathematics, science, uh, engineering, which are important but I think creativity is important as well. And what happened is, is that the older you get, the less you think about yourself as a creative person. Even though there is a famous research that uh, shows that until the age of three, most of kids have what they call 98% uh, of creative genius. Huh. By the time you finish your uh, high school, you are left with 10% and by the age you are 25, you have 2%. Yeah. So it's in you. What you need to do is to foster it, hone it. Um, and that's what artists are doing. It's not the creativity. You know, they once asked uh, Picasso, is there a thing called muse? He said, there is a muse, but it needs to find you working. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so that's great. You need, you need to cultivate it and mm. develop it and hone it. Well, in that realm of cultivating it, um, I... I think that obviously companies don't want to have creativity as a one-time thing, or they bring in someone like you who teaches them about the artist and, and art and creativity, and, and then they go do something. You want it embedded in the culture of the company. So how do yeah. you do that? How do you make it integral wow. to the company? It's That's a big question. <laughs> such a difficult question, such a difficult question, but let me maybe answer through an example, okay? And I hope maybe it will uh, answer. First of all, one of the things that I say is that creativity, it's a matter of commitment. It is not a matter of resources. So even if you have a budget or you don't have a budget, it's your decision how you can be creative. And I can give many examples, but I want to show you what does it mean a management commitment to creativity, because I think that one of the uh, disadvantages or the mistakes that I see in the business world is that people think about creativity as something that we need to do yeah. once a year in the retreat of the company. Right. But I claim creativity, just like you have a weekly finance meeting, you need to have a, fi a weekly or bi-weekly creative uh, engagement. And, and I want to give you an example of, of a company that I appreciate very, very much. Uh, it's called uh, Brown, and it's the electric appliances company from Germany. Most of the people know them for, for their shavers. Mm -hmm. But in the 50s, 60s, this was a very, very innovative uh, company. Okay, And the founders, Erwin and Arthur Brown, were kind of a duo of the creative and the engineering. Okay, The imagination and execution, what I call it. And one of the examples is that when you had the engineering team and the design team and the design team designed a product and the engineering team said the technology doesn't fit this 
design, most of business managers will tell the design team, my friends, change the design. The Brown brothers told the engineering team, my friend, improve the technology because they had the vision to understand what this group of creator in the design team actually brought when they came with this design. Mm. So this is one example for management commitment, what I, what I say when it comes to designing and, and supporting creativity in your organization. Yeah, that's a great example of that. And uh, I, I, you know, I suspect similar things happened in other companies that we think of as innovative, like Apple, for example, which you already yeah, mentioned. Apple, yeah, Apple, Apple was very much inspired by Brown and Erwin uh, mm. uh, Brown. Um, and yeah, you can see on the, on the Google some of the designs that Brown had and what Apple had a few years later. Ah. Um, so oh, that's so, so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nir, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you gamed to answer those? Of course. <laughs> Great. So the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? That it's a uh, very, very satisfying you know, mm. I'm doing a lot of mentoring and I'm teaching and, you know, often the effort that you need to put not necessarily uh, uh, add up with, with what you get, but what you get really is influencing people that will hopefully will make action, take actions in this world and make it a better place. So, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Doing things I'm scared of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all the time, you know, I always uh, think that, ah, you know, I'm not brave enough. I need to do it. Okay, I have to do it. I'll do it. So I think that by pushing myself all the time and being my own biggest uh, critique, so I think it's, yeah, it allows me to, to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight that you'd share with another entrepreneur who's asking themselves, how can I positively affect my own environment and and really contribute in the larger world? What would you say to them? First of all, surround yourself. I always say to entrepreneurs, surround yourself with other entrepreneurs, because Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest choice someone can actually uh, take. I mean, it's all all the numbers are against you. So you surround yourself with, with other entrepreneurs that will give you this support because I think it's so important at the end, the people, you know, that make the change are the ones that actually are willing to take the risk and take those steps. So surround yourself with entrepreneurs. Most, most important, surround yourself with optimistic and people that are seeing the good in things that you do, not only the bad. It doesn't mean you need to avoid criticism, but it's a matter, you know, it's a sort of an energy mm-hmm. that when it's difficult and everyone, you know, is still optimistic, you can pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. That that surrounding yourself with the right people is so important. Thank you for bringing that up. And Nir, thank you for sharing everything you have today. I, I think this issue of, of really embedding creativity and the artist's approach in, uh, in businesses is going to be continue to be increasingly important. And it's certainly important um, uh, as, you, as we saw from the examples that you gave. So thank you so much for being here and sharing all of that with us. 
Thank you very, very much for taking the time to record this uh, podcast. You're welcome. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? They can go to uh, www.theartian.com uh, or just reach me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm very uh, open to uh, connect. And if they're interested to hear about what I do is uh, we have our own podcast, Shaping Business Mind Through Art. So I'm available always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, absolutely. And we'll include that in the show notes, all of those uh, connections as well for people to use. So thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world, Nir. Thank you, Osola, for giving me the, vo- the opportunity to let other people hear about it. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page. Work Alchemy.